Okay, so let's jump into this under the influence. Here's what I want to say right out of the gates. I am stoked. I mean, stoked with I am so excited to start this particular series. Now, as I said that, I wrote that in my notes. One of the things I thought about when I was practicing, I thought, you know, they're going to say, he says that about every series we start. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the study. I enjoy putting this together. I benefit probably more so than what you do. I really believe that. So, again, I've been so excited. But here is why this series especially uh, has me just, this comes from a deep place in me. This isn't a series that we just decided, oh, this would be good to talk about the Holy Spirit. It would really be good for people to understand the Holy Spirit, so let's put this series here. This series comes from God doing a work in me and continue doing work in me for uh, multiple years now. Ultimately, what this series has done in me and, and the subject of this series has helped me become a better leader, has helped me become a better father and a better husband and continuing to grow in them. Uh, what this series is really all about, though we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit um, and over the next three weeks, what it's really all about is this right here. I'm not in control. Now, this has come from a deep place in me. And somebody said, oh, really? It took you to, I mean, what takes so much to figure this out? And most of us know that, hey, we're not in control. Most of us, I think, and I understand this, I intellectually get that I'm not in control, but I realize that practically, I don't always live that out. I think it's true of most of us. Most of us live with this kind of illusion that we're in control of our day, and I think the illusion comes from, because think of all the things that you have done today that you have decided to do. Maybe you brushed your teeth, maybe you set your alarm for 6 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, but you made that decision. You chose what to eat for breakfast, you chose kind of the route that you're going to drive to get here. Maybe you've got multiple cars, you chose which car to get in, and we begin to live life You know, some of you have plans this afternoon to watch the playoffs. Some of you can't stand football, so you've got plans to go out with your girlfriends or some friends. And so you you have made plans, and we kind of live with this illusion that we are kind of the captain of our own ship, the captain of our own soul, and we write the end of the story. But deep in our hearts, we know that this is true. Deep in our hearts, we know that all that it takes is a phone call to show us that we're out of control. Maybe the ring, you pick it up, and it's a police officer. And you hear him say on the other end, there was a bad accident. Your kids were involved. Or maybe it's a doctor. You pick it up. Hey, it's cancer. Or it's your mom. Hey, dad had a heart attack. Or it's your boss. Hey, you know what? You don't need to bother coming to work tomorrow. You don't have a job. Or it's someone that you love called a husband or a wife. Your sweetheart. Hey, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. And in those moments, we recognize that we can't control life. We can't control the outcomes. We can't stop the pain. And I can't even control people in my life. I can't do it. Matter of fact, what I've learned is most days I can't even control myself. So we live with this illusion of control, but deep in our hearts, we know that this is true. So what this series is really all about is saying, how do I live in a life where I know that I'm not in control and how do I do it with wisdom? How do I practically do this thing? Because see, I believe that behind most of our stress, most of our anxiety, most of our anger, most of, not all of it, most of our fear, our depression, and I would even say behind most of our good deeds is this illusion and desire for control. I really believe that. And it comes from a good place. I also believe that God says in his word that he has created you and he's created me in his image. 
And it means that number one, we can relate to him. But number two, he says, right after he says that, he says, I've created you to rule and to reign, to subdue is another word that's used a lot. Basically, God's saying, listen, I've created this world. I'm leaving. My physical presence is not here, but you are. And I've given you the ability to lead, to manage, to influence. In other words, autonomy is wired into us. This desire to have kingdoms, to be in charge, to rule, to reign. It's a good thing, but it's a good thing going dark for many of us. I would also say for some of you in the room, myself, I am, I am the, well, I'm going to talk about this later in the message. But for some of you, you have a God-given personality, a God-given trait and a gift that understands control, maybe more so than the people around you. And he's given you that gift to make a difference in his kingdom. But again, because even though you've been given the, this personality trait, again, for many of us, it goes dark on us. And it causes so many problems. So the real heart of this, this study, the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, plays a key role in putting feet to this statement of I'm not in control. How do I live life? How do I do this? As I said, I'm going to end the series really describing my personal journey, um, but hang with me till I get there. Uh, but this is, comes from a deep place of learning in my life and stuff that I'm still trying to flesh out. But to get us there, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at one verse and the verses around it. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're not familiar with your Bible, there's a little map there in the wall to kind of help you find it. It's towards the very back of your Bible. You'll see some books around it, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. This is written by a guy named Paul who tried to stamp Christians off the earth and then he, and then he became a Christian himself and worked very hard to uh, build and plant churches all over the known world. So we'll start actually at verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Pause right there. I think most of us get this. Most of you watch the news. Most of you look out your door. Most of you go to school with some friends or go to work and you look around this world and you say, yeah, the days are evil. So the command, this verse is so relevant. Be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity. Now verse 17, therefore do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. So he says, this is a command. Don't be fools. Be wise. Understand what God wants from you. Do not get drunk on wine. Here's the key verse we're going to talk about. And this kind of sets this whole series in motion. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It's a big fancy word for a messed up life and all kinds of wrong choices and living and pain and mess. Uh, So it says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. There's the command. It's actually a command. It's given to us. Verse 19 then kind of flows from this. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes into this powerful statement about how to live with one another, submitting to one another, starting with your marriage, husbands and wives. Now, here's where we want to go with this. I understand from my own journey that the Holy Spirit can be a little mystical to us. In fact, I'm going to, I want to start by a story. I'm going to share this story with you. It's a story I've shared before, so some of you have heard it, so bear with me. Um, but those of you, I'm sharing this story to say, I think as I share this story, as I've shared it in the past, I've had so many people come up to me and say, I totally relate to that. 
Because many of us, my first encounter with the Holy Spirit was a strange encounter. I use the word strange, that's how I defined it. The people weren't bad, they weren't weird, they were doing things that they really believed in, but it was strange. And it always, so the Holy Spirit always has been off in this mystical realm. This, this Holy Spirit's always been someone or something, is how I used to think, some force that can be acted upon me, that someone else can even do something to make it act upon me. And I'm kind of out of control of whether he acts or whether he doesn't act. And, and so again, so here's the story. Started when I was 19 years old. Now, I had just come out of a, um, I'm graduated high school. I'm working full time. I'm not in college. I just come through a period where I actually tried to end my life because it was so miserable and making all kinds of poor choices. I've at this point turned and said, okay, God, I repent. I'm going to walk towards Jesus, but I don't yet know what that really looks like. So I still kind of have one foot over here in this where I've been living and one foot over here and trying to live for Jesus and trying to figure out how do I do this and how do I grow? And, and I'm at the gym one day working out and there's a, there's a, girl there who, um, she's a few years older than me, who, who really loves Jesus. And she comes up to me and she says, Hey, Adam, why don't, um, what are you doing Friday night? You want to come out with me and, um, and head to a Bible study. Now <laughs> I didn't hear once she said, what are you doing Friday night? You want to come with me? I didn't even listen to the rest. Cause she was a very attractive girl. She's someone like, yeah, I'll go out with you and let's, let's go. Let's do this thing. And I didn't even catch the Bible study. So I pick her up. And we drive over to the home. We walk into it. It's set up much like our life groups. You know, the, it was in a small townhouse and there's about, there's some sofa and love seats and chairs and a few other chairs, folding chairs kind of set up. And there's all these people kind of gathered around and, and they open up much like many of your experience with life groups do. And they open up, they talk, they praying and sharing about your week and how's it going. And so everyone's just kind of talking. And I'm like, this is kind of cool. And, and then the leader says, instead of doing our normal study, I have a friend who's a missionary who lives in Africa, who's here on birth. And I've asked her to share and she's going to talk to us about being filled with the spirit, the word that's used in Ephesians. So I'm like, oh, this is, this will be cool. I want to learn about that. So she starts out and she starts out what I would term pretty, ah, this is cool. This is normal. She's talking about the Bible. She's talking about her experience. And then it just starts going to a strange place. And I use strange, not as a judgmental, but just, it was strange in my mind. And we have, there's people in the room who are starting to put their hands up. And again, this is how many of us, I think, think of the Holy Spirit, mystical, experiential, kind of, you know, twilight zone-ish music playing. And so people putting their hands up and I hear people kind of humming and I hear people kind of babbling. And I'm like, and then she just keeps talking and then just starts getting to this stuff where she starts saying things like, I remember very, vividly. She says, you should be so full of the Holy Spirit that when people walk through your shadow, they sense the power and pass out. You should be so full of the Holy Spirit that if, if a young child, and she tells a story in Africa of a young child who came to her, who was missing his foot from a childhood disease. And they, she said to the parents, believe in that you're going to be baptized with the spirit and you're going to put on a shoe. And you have such faith that that foot comes back and, and it came back. And she's telling story after story and work in the whole, and the whole room is just getting wound up and excited. And then she she says, now, if you want to be filled with the spirit, stand to your feet. And so everyone jumps to their feet. Now, peer pressure, it's very real, isn't it? It's not just a teenage thing. It's a, it's an adult thing too. And I'm looking around going, oh my goodness. So I stand up, not wanting to be left out kind of, I was in one of the folding chairs. So I push it back and I step back and she starts working her way around the room and she's hitting people square in the forehead and they're falling over. And I'm hearing all this babbling going on, which I learned is speaking in tongues. And, and she gets around to me 
and I'm thinking, oh, and all I'm doing is looking at that door. It's like right at that angle. I'm like, I want to get out of here so bad. And then she smacks me in the forehead, and I'm thinking, what in the world, lady? And I'm like, you do that one more time, I'm going to smack you back. I mean, let's, let's cut this stuff off. And then she, she puts her hand on top of my head. I'll never forget this. And she prays, dear God, I sense your spirit telling me that this is a troubled young man. And I'm like, listen, lady. It doesn't take the spirit of God to tell you that. This is where my skepticism began to come in. I'm like, it just takes a keen sense of observation. And you watch me and I'm clearly the sweat in my armpits. I mean, just gives it away that this is not a good situation. So she then grabs me at the side of the face, kid you not, and starts and trying to blow the spirit into me. Now, (laughs) I joke about this, but it's so true. I was like, lady, I'm going to pass out but it has nothing to do with what the spirit of God's doing. It's because your breath is horrible. I mean, it's like, dude, there's breath mints for that stuff. So it gets all done and everyone still has their hands in the air and they're babbling, which I again learned. This was my very first experience with what is known as tongues, speaking in tongues. And again, I'm not here to make comments on where I land and all that. I'm just sharing my experience. And she, they all kind of sit down and there's just this long moment of awkward, like, what do I do? What do I do? So I kind of sense, here's my opportunity. I turned to the girl beside me that I came with and I said, I'll see you in the car. Now we're driving back to her house, awkward silence, hardly a word spoken. And she says, didn't you like that? I'm like, what a silly question. I'm like, No, I didn't like that. And she says, she says, well, why not? Now I'm digging deep inside of me. What do I tell her? Why didn't I like that? I don't know. I truly didn't know. It was just weird. That's all I knew to say. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm like, I don't know what to tell her. I just felt weird. And I, so I'm thinking, I can't say that. What do I say? So I just turned kind of driving. I look and say, well, it was unbiblical. Now, unbiblical. I hadn't opened my Bible for years. I'm like, why did I unbiblical? So she says, well, what verses would you look at? Pull up outside her house, saved by the bell, out you go, I'll see you later. I don't need to answer the question. So then she says to me, she's getting out of the car, you know what, Adam? How about next Friday night? You want to go out? How about the Olive Garden? Now, again, I should have listened to the rest of the statement. She said to me, let's talk about this. All I heard, Friday night, go out, Olive Garden, another date with a good-looking girl. This works. This is all right. I'm in. So I get home with my mom. And I say, mom, don't ask questions. Don't, don't ask why. I just want to know if I were to read about the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, really like instantaneous miracles, where would I read in the Bible? So she gave me a whole ton of passages. And I started for that next week pouring myself through the scriptures. She gave me a, some, a tape series by John MacArthur. Some of you know him. I never heard of John MacArthur. I'm like, who's John MacArthur? I was driving to work every single day, listening to this, the strong Bible teacher preach. And I was going home every night and pouring myself through the scriptures. And God began to change my life. Now, that's how I started my introduction with the Holy Spirit. Fast forward a number of years. I'm now in ministry. Been in ministry for about three years, three and a half, two and a half years. And I'm going for my ordination. Ordination is a big fancy thing that happens with pastors where they stand up and bunch a whole bunch of people that really know the Bible and you get grilled and drilled and you sweat and you feel nervous and you, and they want to know everything that you believe and why you believe and can you defend it? Well, the whole thing got done and they, they excused me. I come back into the room and I said, okay, Adam, here's the report. We're not ordaining you. I was crushed. We will license you but we're going to ask you to study a few areas. Now, 
Two or three of them were very, I was in a certain denomination and they did things a certain way. Like communion, for example, was done and they said it had to be done this way and it can be done no other way. And you don't seem to understand that. So, so some of them were in that realm, but there was one area where they looked at me and said, we'd like you to really dive into, guess what it was? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? I know about the Holy Spirit. I can tell you about the Holy Spirit. I've lived through a strange experience. I've studied deeply. I get this, but they knew that I didn't. So they pushed in. And I started on a journey that that I'm going to share later on, how it completed and how it's still even going on. But the Holy Spirit has a lot of confusion around it. I find that my experience in that home is not unlike uh, many experiences Many of you, when you think of the Holy Spirit, he's a bit mystical. He's a bit, well, that's weird or that's strange or I, why will we do that or what's that all about or why do they talk like that? Or, and and it, it, you, you walk into churches that are very Holy Spirit driven and you see all the dancing and the, the, some even bark and some do all this stuff. And you're like, what is this? And it's a bit strange. The 20th century has been referred to by a lot of church historians as the century of the Holy Spirit. The reason that is, is because in the 20th century is when the Pentecostal movement really took root. The Pentecostal movement, if you aren't familiar with it, they're a group of churches that, are, that would put the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And that really took root and really began to spread. Along with that, in the Protestant mainline evangelical churches, there was beginning to be a strong emphasis on evangelizing the world. That really began to take root in the 20th century. So People begin to think, let's get out into the world. And be, as people begin to do that, they're realizing, we, boy, this is going into the unreached people groups. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. So people really began to be absorbed with this teaching of the Holy Spirit. So coming to verse 18, what does it mean? How do I get filled? What is this? Is it mystical? Is it something that, how do I, how do I make this happen? Well, what I want to do for you before I answer the question, this is not an exhaustive study in the Holy Spirit, this, this series. We're going to touch on some things, but it's not exhaustive. But there are some basic foundations that I must get through. So here's the deal. I'll throw it right up front to you. I'm going to rip through a ton of verses. Okay, I'll tell you that up front. I'm going to try not to bore you, drown you out with details. Maybe some of you just want to catch and look at them later, but I just want to go through a couple things. First thing, here we go. The Holy Spirit is a person. This is so important. Now, I don't have time to go through all the verses that, that share why we believe that. Uh, but there's a ton of verses that describe him as a person. So here's why I say this. He's not an it. Okay, I hear a lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit like an it, like some kind of force that just floats around out there. He is person. He is a person, which means he's personal. Okay, very, very important. Next thing, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, again, I've got a ton of stuff up here in my notes. That I, last night when I practiced, I had to go through and exit out because I couldn't get it all in here. I want to mention a few of them, though. Um, Sixteen times he is referenced in our New Testament as the other of the, one of the trinities. So Jesus or God. So there's the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, for example, let me give you an example what I'm referring to. Acts 16.7 refers to the Spirit in the Greek. Spirit is capitalized. It's referring to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says the Spirit, again, capital in the Greek, the original language is Spirit of our God. And 16 times that happens in our New Testament. He is given um, the attributes and characteristics of God. And again, I... Again, if you want some of these verses, I would love to get them to you. Shoot me an email and I'll send some of them to you. He's also involved in the actions that only God could do. For example, he's involved in the creation of the world, Genesis 1-2. 
He causes the virgin birth. We just came through the Christmas season, Luke 135. It says that Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He inspired scripture, 2 Peter 1 verse 21. Here's a powerful one. He raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Peter 3.18 and Romans 8.11 give reference to that. But the verse that I would I just want to put up on the screen, actually, that really, I think, cements it for a lot of us is this one. This is in the early first century. The church has just started, and they're selling all, a lot of the believers are selling land and bringing the money into the church to care for the people. And so Peter said to Ananias, one of the guys that sold some money, he, this guy kept the money for himself. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourselves some of the money you received? So who did he lie to? He lied to who? Holy Spirit, right? You guys with me? Can you see that? Um, lie to the Holy Spirit. This is sometimes I wish we did preach in a Pentecostal church because when I would have said, who do you lie to? I would have heard this big Holy Spirit from all of you. But okay, that's cool. Um, here we go. <laughs> so he lied to the Holy Spirit and he's kept some of the money. for Now, continue. Didn't it belong uh, to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to... God, there you go. Get a little more Pentecostal. Way to go. Um, So you see in one minute, he lied to the Holy Spirit. And then the writer, Luke, interchanges God at the end of it. So he interchanges both of them in the same context. Again, a good indication that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, next thing. So he is a person. He is God. Let me talk about some of the things that he does. This is important. Again, I'm not going to talk them all. We could be here just, again, this isn't to go deep into this, but I just want to reference them for you. you. Say, what does he do? Why is he, why the Holy Spirit? Okay, well, here's why. He convicts the world of sin, not just you and I, but people that don't know Jesus. John 16, 8. He's involved in regeneration. It's a big fancy theological term for making us new, uh, born again. John chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. He brings assurance of salvation, Romans 8, 15. One of my favorites is he aids us in prayer. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, I don't even know what to pray. Life is so hard. It's so tough. I'm so confused. I don't know what end is up. I don't even know if I love Jesus. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know. Well, guess what? I love it. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27 says, in those moments, the spirit intercedes to God for us. Awesome. He calls us to service. He gives us gifts. He seals us. He secures us. We're going to talk about that one in two weeks. So we'll go into more depth. And here's another cool one. He indwells us. All of you, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you. Now, here's the big one that he does. I'm going to put the verses up for you. Uh, He counsels and he teaches. Okay, John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, telling his buddies, I'm about to go back to the Father. I'm about to die. I'm about to raise again, and I'm going to leave you guys, but I'm going to leave someone with you. And here it is. I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. There's another indication of his Godhood. Another in the original language means like as or similar. So it's like identical to me. He's coming. He's a lot like me. He bears the same attributes as I do. So he's an advocate to help you and me. um, And he'll be with you forever. Now, John 14, 26, the verse, there's verses in between, but it picks up here. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So why is he coming? He's going to remind. He says, listen, I want you to know what I've said. So the Holy Spirit's coming to teach you what I have said. Now, 
John 16, this is still Jesus. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, this next statement is so important. He will glorify who? You know, here's, here's one of my struggles with the Pentecostal movement. Many Pentecostal churches, not all, there's some really good ones out there, but many of them put so much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. It's like the whole, we're here to worship the Holy Spirit. We are not here to worship the Holy Spirit. We are to pray to God the Father through Jesus, and the Holy Spirit brings us, glorifies Jesus, and Jesus takes us to the Father. So when the Holy Spirit takes the top of the Trinity in our minds, and a lot of Pentecostal churches do this, we're in big trouble. Because ultimately, it's being in relationship with God that comes through Jesus, and the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus who leads us to God. Can I say, well, that's, what's a big deal? That's a big deal. Um, it's God, the Holy Spirit is not the pinnacle of our worship. So again, so he glorifies Jesus because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So again, these powerful verses say the Holy Spirit teaches. So he's a person, he's God. Um, you see kind of the things that he does. And the next one, I want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that? I mean, that's a strange thing. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. This is another important thing. And, and again, some of these terms I put in your notes in the bulletin. There's some notes here that try my best. I tried my best. A very simple language break down what these different things are. But first Corinthians twelve thirteen. what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? For we were all baptized by one spirit. Now look at this. This is so important. Who was baptized? We were all so important. The baptism of the spirit is not some special mystical thing. It's not something that we need extra. When you become a Christian, you're baptized by the spirit of God. Very important teaching. And all Christians have it. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been baptized with the spirit. And look at why we've been baptized. What is the baptism to do? It's not to give me power. It's not to give me some kind of fresh spiritual insight. What does it do? So as to form what? One body. The spirit ultimately has baptized you to bring you into relationship with one another. Which, whether you're Jews, Gentiles, they didn't get along so well. Slave or free, they didn't get along so well. We are all given the one spirit to drink. So beautifully, spiritually driven, we're baptized by the spirit to bring us into one body, on one mission, to love our Savior. That's what baptism is. Now, baptism was talked about. It gets a little mystical. You say, well, Adam, no, wait a minute. Well, Matthew chapter 3, here's where it's first really, it's promised early in the Old Testament. And then, and then it shows up when John the Baptist, he was the guy that got ready, people ready for Jesus. He says, I baptized you, this is John the Baptist, with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, referring to Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's where we get the fire, the tongues of fire. And that comes again in Acts chapter two. Now, Acts chapter one. Jesus has died at this point, rose from the dead. He's now getting ready to go back to heaven. After 50 or so odd days living on earth with his buddies, he says this, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because remember in John 14 and 16, he says, I have to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send you the spirit. So that's the coming. That's the baptism. All Christians receive it. All Christians 
have it. Now, I'm going to skip this next verse for sake of time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, here's the final thing I want to say before we jump back into Ephesians 5. Can you lose the Holy Spirit? My answer, no. When you get him, you get him. Now, you can grieve him. You can cause him to kind of be at a distance in your life. You can cause him to live in a way that he's really not working in your life. But here's, look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies, so some of you have heard this verse before. Do you not know that your bodies are temples? That's cool, right? All of your temples of the what? Holy Spirit. Now, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So do you not know that your bodies are? Here's the thing. Keep this in mind. This is writing to a group of people who were pretty messed up. Okay, this is in the context of the writer, Paul, telling these people, hey, guys, stop having sex with prostitutes. Stop having sex outside of marriage because when you do that, you unite yourself with the prostitute and you should be united as one with Christ. And when you have sex, it is a sin like any other and it causes real problems. So he just gets done telling him that right before this, he just gets done saying, listen, guys, you're such a mess. You're having lawsuits all over the place. Quit suing people. Okay. You should be mature and you should be able to work this stuff out with each other. And then right before that, he says, listen, you guys are so messed up. There is someone that comes to your church and hangs out with you and you're giving him high fives. And he is doing things that the world would look in and say, that's sick, but you entertain and you give him high fives. He says, guys, stop it. And you read all through first Corinthians. this was a church that was pretty messed up, but Paul looks at them and says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy spirit? If anyone was going to lose the Holy spirit, it would be this group of people. But Paul uses it and says, Hey, you have the spirit. He's there. He's living. So with that said, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the spirit. Now, what on earth? Now, I want to say filling, and you'll see it on your chart there in your bulletin, is very different than baptizing. Filling is something that you can lose. It's something that's not necessarily experienced by all, or else he wouldn't have to tell you to do it, experience it. It's experienced throughout the Christian's life in multiple times in multiple ways. And ultimately, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, it results when I'm filled. It means I have power to live out my life for the glory of God. It's not mystical. It's not out of my grasp. It's not something that someone else blows into me or smacks me on the head or, or anything else. It's not how the filling works. It's one thing where that group of people, I will say, well, I will make a comment that they had a little tweaked, messed up, in my opinion, theology. It's not, it's not something new. Now, notice what he compares it to. You say, well, Adam, well, how do I get filled? What's he compare it to? Do not get what? Drunk. So that's not good. But we notice he says, but be filled with the spirit. So he draws this parallel with drunkenness. Now think about drunkenness. What is it? What does it mean to get drunk? Before we do that, let me show you a couple of the verses where this same analogy is taken. Acts chapter two. Okay. Jesus says, you're going to be baptized with the spirit. They get the spirit. They start living in a way that's pretty crazy. Okay. So they, Peter has to stand up and defend them. He says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. And he says, it's only nine in the morning. If they're drunk, they've got real problems. I mean, the bars aren't even open yet, guys. Come on. I mean, they, and they had a good night's sleep, so it should all be out of them. They have a hangover, but he's not drunk. Now, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. So again, here there's confusion. People look in and think, oh my goodness, they're drunk. Same confusion, same kind of parallel in Acts. Now here's another one. We read this verse earlier. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to what? Say it with me together. To drink. Isn't that awesome? So get drunk on the spirit. Now think about drunk. What does it mean to be drunk? You're out of control. I heard someone say it over here. You know, take the, have you ever seen the cop videos? You know, I love them. The, little, the cameras on the dashboard watching what's going on and they're narrating the whole thing. And I, you know, it's not funny because it's really destroying life, but you watch the person get out of their car and they're like, the cop says, can you walk on the straight line? And what do they always say? Of course I can. Officer, I haven't been drinking. I'm not drunk. They all, it's the same song and dance. And then they go to walk on the line and they're looking down at the line and they're like, I can do this. I can do this. I'm in control. But what do they do? They're like walking this way and they're doing this and they're coming over here. They're not in control. Something else has possessed their body. Now you think about drunkenness. What else about drunkenness? What else? You lose your inhibitions. You know, you've heard the Hollywood um, movie stars after getting drunk and they spout all kinds of um, anti-Semitism and all this nasty stuff all over the place. They're like, oh, that really wasn't me. Well, who, what was it? Oh, it's the alcohol in you in me. And it just, you lose your inhibitions and you start saying things that you may really think, but you're just going to, now they're just all going to come out. When you're drunk, you're much bolder. If you've been around someone drunk, I mean, they, they take things on. And you're like, whoa, dude, back down. I mean, come on. So that's the question. When people look at your Christian life, would they confuse you with being drunk? That's what it means to be filled by the spirit of God. Are you bolder? Are you less inhibited? Are you out of control? Now, not in a sick way, but are you out of control? And here's where the journey has gotten very personal for me. My answer to that question, no. I am in control. And I pride myself for planning and structure and systems and process and leadership and good logical thinking and I'll go on down the list. And all that stuff's good and has its place. And it's a God-given gift and personality. But are you out of control? Let me take this analogy one step further. When do people drink? Think about this. They drink to have a good time. So I'd say, you want a good time? Drink deep of the spirit of God. Do we realize what Christianity is? It can give you life like nothing else can when you encounter the living God. Many of us are fooling around with silly things all day long, playing our gamings and all over our phones and all over our technical devices and chasing all these relationships. And God's saying, listen, 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 find life in me. You want a good time? Here I am. When else do we drink? You know what else we drink? We drink... You talk to an alcoholic, and they may not acknowledge this, but walk with people who walk with alcoholics. Alcoholics generally drink to mask the pain. And you know, I think about pain. Pain, not all the time, but many times, pain shows us and shines a big fat spotlight on the reality that you are not in control. When I had my journey with my leg, oh man. That is the number one thing. Yes, I hurt deeply and yes, all that good stuff. And it was all that. The number one thing I struggled with was, man, I'm out of control. I may never run again. 
It changed the dynamic of my relationship in my family with my kids and my boys. And all it was doing was that pain inside of me, grieving that loss, was shining this big spotlight on Adam. You know what? You had all these plans, and guess what? They're gone. You think you're in control, Adam? You're not. And so what I would say with this, if you're in pain, quit drinking. Quit running to sex and drugs and TV and food and everything else we medicate with. Go to the Holy Spirit and say, here I am in a lot of pain. I want to drink deep of you. Now, as I continue this analogy further and I really think about this, I say, well, what's the outgrowth of the Holy? If I am being filled with the Holy Spirit, if I'm giving up control, I'm going to talk in a minute on how to do that. But what's the outgrowth to really determine am I? Well, do you remember what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does? It brings you into the body. Filling then is going to live that out. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 19. Right after it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit... Look at this next verse. Very first thing it says, it's living out the baptism. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your what? Heart. Do you know what music does? Music is powerful. It's important. It speaks the language of the heart like spoken word cannot. Now, I love the outcome. If you are spirit-filled, you are going to be connected with the people sitting around you who say, I'm a Christian. You're going to walk into the small group, the life groups. You're going to do life with other people. You're going to encourage and sing to them. Maybe not literally. That may not encourage you. If I sung to you, you may think, oh my goodness, Adam, I'm anything but encouraged. But we're going to speak the language of the heart to one another. Matter of fact, go over to chapter six. Look at verse 18. I love this again, pray in the spirit. So after put on the armor of God and pray in the spirit, again, it's almost this imagery of being spirit controlled, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert. Isn't this language almost identical to chapter five? Be alert. Remember the days are evil. Be alert and always keep on praying for who? Other Christians, all the saints. So if I'm spirit filled, I'm going to be drawn to one another. If you're being pushed into isolation, there's a good chance you're not spirit-filled. If you're not drawn towards other Christians and instead you're kind of pushing from them, if you're not opening up your life to others and stepping towards others to minister and serve in life group and ministry and care, and there's a good chance you may not be spirit-filled. Now, I'm going to get very personal in my own life and then end this kind of talk here this morning. So I had that experience at 19. I had my ordination kind of fail. And I'm beginning to walk with the Holy Spirit. Three years ago, two and a half years ago, I continued in counseling. I, something I'm very passionate about. I've always been, kind of will always, hopefully always go. And this particular counselor I was with happened to be a, charis, a former charismatic pastor. So he leaned more Pentecostal. So when I sit down with him, one of the first things that he did with me is he began to do and administer. Um, and you go to counseling, you probably have had this done, the personality profiles and assessments. And there's so many out there. And here's some of the different things they measure. They, they measure this control piece. How controlling, dominant is this person? So some tests just simply measure dominant versus submissive. 
And some of you actually know which tests these are just by mentioning some of these. Some measure impulsive versus self-disciplined. So I'm high dominant, okay, when I get to tell. Let's be honest with where I'm at. Some of you go, oh, my goodness, this is our pastor. <laughs> yeah, I'll, be, I'll just be candid here. I'm high dominant, impulsive versus self-disciplined. I am high on the, 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 the particular test that measures that one. I'm high self-disciplined. Handle change. Guess what? I hate change. You know why I hate change? Because I'm out of control. Um, here's the Myers-Briggs is thinking versus feeling. I am high thinking. In other words, here's how that test describes it. I'm a logical processor. Okay. I'm in control. I can logic this thing down. I don't need to feel and get all touchy feely. I mean, let's just logic and process. Um, now here's how this, this test, okay. was spelled out for me. I want to read this to you. Okay. Now I'm going to don't bring this back against me. I want to ask to say that right up front. Here's what it says. Here's what Adam does. This was a description. Adam will painstakingly educate others so that they, the people I'm educating, so that they may completely understand and get on board with Adam's plans and inspirations. <laughs> Lord help Tanya, right? <laughs> She's my wife, for those of you who don't know. Now, so in other words, this counselor is sitting with me and he begins to look at this and he says, my goodness, Adam, here's what he said to me. I would like you to learn to hear God. Listen, we said next, learn to hear God, not just study the Bible. I stopped when he said it in the office and I wrote it down. I said, say it again. I want you to hear God, not just study the Bible. In other words, Adam, what I'd like you to really work on, and I'd like to walk with you if you'd allow me to teach you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are word is, and to rely 100% on him. Now, immediately I jump back. Oh, sure. You're a Pentecostal pastor. Of course you want me to go down that road, you know. And he, we had some fun with it. But he said, Adam, can you agree to this? I said, yeah. Now, little did I know what he was preparing me for was the journey that I had with my leg. Or actually, little did I know that that was just going to continue the journey. My leg happened last winter. I'm approaching one year. And I still, to this day, cannot walk can't run, can't jump. And I'm beginning to face the fact that doctors are saying to me, Adam, you may never do those things. So to say that this has been a hard year would be an understatement. It has been gruesome internally. Now, I'm sitting down in August. This is what I want to challenge us with. I'm sitting down in August with our journal. I do our journal too. And in August, we were in this series, um, Jesus period. It's all about Jesus. And we happen to have a reading the first week of August in Ephesians chapter five and chapter six was the second day. And on that day, what I was wrestling with internally was I just finished with the doctors the week before. And the doctor said to me, Adam, I don't think you're gonna be able to coach football. Now, for those of you who don't know, football, coaching football, if I wasn't going to be a pastor, I probably would have tried to pursue professional coaching. I love coaching football. I say it this way. I learned more about walking with God through my football coaches who didn't know Jesus in the Christian school I went to growing up. Football has been a bit of, played a very important life for me, and I see the good of being able to coach young boys and young men. So I'm so passionate. And now my boys are of the age where they're playing, and I get to coach with them. So when the doctor says to me, Adam, you're not going to coach football. Here I am again in this journey, once again, sitting down and grieving my loss. So the first thing I would say is this. When I came to this passage, I was reading it out of the New Living. I read out of different translations. So I was reading out of the New Living that particular day. 
I'm going to read it to you what it says. This is verse 15. So be careful how you live, Adam. Don't live like a fool, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. In my opinion, it's my humble opinion, that's how you live filled with the Spirit. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So don't act thoughtlessly. Here is where it hit me. I was sitting there reading this and I'm like, oh my goodness, look at my life. I've got the rest of my day planned out. This was on a Monday morning. And what I generally do on Monday morning is after I do my quiet time, I began to step back and thought, Adam, why are you doing your quiet time this morning? You know what it was? It was a thoughtless, habitual habit. I didn't sit down saying, I really want to hear from God. I just sat down because it's what I always do. Thoughtless. Good, but thoughtless. Now, I then got up out of my chair. I was thinking, I'm going to get out of my chair here, and I'm going to go to the office, and what am I going to do? I'm going to log on, and I'm going to open up my email. Why am I going to do that? Good thing to do, but thoughtless. Adam, how about tomorrow? You know what you're going to do? You have a meeting with Chris tomorrow, and then you have a staff meeting, then you meet with this person and that person. Why are you doing that? Well, it's because it's your job. What do you do? It's what you committed to doing. It's habit. Thoughtless. You want to be filled with the spirit. Here's what I've learned. Just from the bottom of my heart, the deep places. We've got to be willing to step back and say, okay, God, what do you want from me in this moment? God, what do you want me to do today? And God, I'm not going to move until I hear from you. So what I've started to do, I've, I work really hard at this now. I come into the office. and actually even try before I get into the office. I try and pray, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Yes, I'd like to work on my message today. That's what I planned on. But God, what do you want me to do? And so there's some days I hear, don't open your email. That's hard to do in our age today. So some of you say, wow, you take so long to get back to emails. Well, it's because God told me not to get back to email that day. Okay, I'm sorry. But you know what? There have been certain days where I've heard, don't open your email. So I didn't open my email. Well, then until I finally opened my email, when I thought, okay, now I got the other things done, I heard God say, and I opened my email, and there was a crisis or there was a personal attack in that email. I'm like, thank you, God. If I had opened that up first thing in the morning, what would have I done today? I would have spent my whole day responding to that and would have never gotten to what you wanted me to do. So I began to step back and I realized, you know, most of us in our Western world, we've got today plan. Many of you are already thinking, okay, Adam, you're running a little late. I see that. I understand that. You're running a little late, Adam. And you know what? You're going to cut into my playoff game. I really can't wait to watch Dallas lose today. And God, you're really, um, you go on down the list and you're like, well, you know what? I don't like football. All the men are going to watch. I'm heading out with my girlfriends. Adam, you're cutting into this time. You've got your lunch planned. You've got your dinner planned. You've got tomorrow planned. You've got next week planned. You've got next year. You've got the next five years laid out for you. And the question is, have you stopped and said, God, what do you want from me? Let me hear from you. And I want to respond to that. Don't act thoughtlessly. Now, the second thing, along with a connection with one another, look at this, this final thing, and then we're going to end. Some of you say, oh, my goodness, you're getting late. I apologize. Here we go. Final thing. Verse 20. So there's the result of connecting with one another, verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was sitting there crying, I'll be honest, crying in my quiet time. I'm wrestling, I'm struggling, trying to lay down this fact that I'm not going to be able to coach. 
trying to again walk in the journey of what I've been in this past year. And I'm just saying, I'm not thankful at all. There's no part of me that's thankful. And so I began to process that. I began to realize, you know what? My ingratitude is the clearest expression that I'm all about me and being in control. You know what, Adam? Get your head, excuse my language, get your head out of your rear end. You have a lot to be thankful for. Start writing it down. So I started. I just started writing it down that day in my journal. Started writing it. That's why I think journaling is so important. I give a plug for that there. I just started writing. And I got done looking. I'm like, my goodness. Your pain and you drinking in all that pain has caused you to be so myopic on yourself and what you don't have. But look at the beauty of life that you possess. I cannot say that enough. It's a great way to deal with pain and it's a great way to drink deep of the spirit of God. I think it's an outgrowth of being filled with the spirit, but I also think it's a way, it's a backdoor way to be filled by the spirit. Just stop and say, you know what? I'm going to be thankful. My life is a gift. My life is not a result of my own achievements. Now here's right end. Some of us yearn for more of God. We yearn for a closer walk, a deeper walk, We yearn for a better marriage. Oh, you hunger to have the intimacy with your spouse that you so desperately want. You yearn for a better life, a better job. Here's my encouragement. If you want those things, give up control. Stop acting thoughtlessly. You know, the Holy Spirit is God. Submit to his control. If you walk away with nothing else, here it is. The Holy Spirit is God. Submit to his control. You I are not in control. He's not mystical. He's not far off. He is tangible and he is close. Drink deep of your relationship with him moment by moment, praying in all occasions in the spirit for one another and giving thanks. So I thought this morning, we're going to end with communion because I thought about this, you know, what, what communion is. So going to wrap this up and lead to communion. Ask the ushers and the elders to get ready. What communion is? Do you know what communion is? By definition, the word communion, you go to dictionary.com. Here's what it says. To converse or talk together, usually with profound intensity, intimacy, interchanging thoughts or feelings. Communion. And you can have it with your God. Communion. The spirit of God living inside of you wants to commune with you, talk with you intimately and passionately interchange thoughts and feelings. Now we can only do this through Jesus and that's what communion honors and and remembers. The bread is not sacred. The juice is not, there's nothing special about it. It's just simply saying, I'm going to do this in remembrance and I'm going to remember what I have in Jesus. That's all I'm doing. Remember what I have in Jesus. I just want to give a warning with this. Some of you say, well, okay. um, First Corinthians 11 says when we do communion out of order, it can actually bring death, physical death to us. So here's what it means by being out of order. If there is, if you're, number one, if you're a Christian, communion's for you. If you're not a Christian, number one, thanks for being here. It's brave. It's awesome. Our doors are open to you. But spend some time saying, why am I not a Christian? And can I simply place my faith in Jesus? I'm a sinner. I trust Jesus. And if you can't, don't take communion. Just let it pass and think, what's holding me back? Second thing, you don't need to be perfect. Jesus makes you perfect. You're never going to be perfect. 
If you've got some kind of sin in your life, it doesn't mean you can't take communion, but here's what it does mean. If you've got sin in your life or between you and another person and you're not willing to deal with it, you're not willing to go seek help, go humble yourself and apologize, you're not willing just to turn and repent, then let the stuff pass. And I want, my encouragement to you is just really do some work in your own heart. What's keeping me back? Again, if you can say, you know what? Yeah, I got sin in my life. Me, I had a fight with my wife last night or my husband last night or I got this or that happened. But you know what? My heart is to make this right. I'm repentant. God, I want more of you. I don't want to lie to myself. I, and take communion and honor the remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he did for you to bring you into relationship with your God. That's what communion is. So I'm going to pray for us. The elders are going to come forward as I'm done praying. We're going to pass out the communion give you time to reflect and meditate on that. And then we'll pull back together after everyone gets the elements. We'll come back together. We'll take the elements together. And then we're going to close by worshiping and giving. That's your time to turn your tear off in and and give your monies to the Lord. And then we're going to close with a song. Let me pray. I'm going to pray very specifically. Here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you really learn to hear God, hear his voice. God, thank you so much um, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death and his resurrection. And ultimately, since he's sitting there with you at your right hand, he's been able to send the spirit. And God, every single person in this room who says, I'm a Christian, God, may they know that inside of them, you reside in the form of the Holy Spirit. God, may they know and understand that their body is your temple. Your temple. That's so cool to think about. God, you're never far away. You're always with us. Counseling, directing, convicting. God, we want more of you. God, may we be filled with you. God, may we be people who are, who people look in and say, man, are they drunk? No, we're not drunk. We're just bold because we have the Spirit's work. No, we're not drunk. We're just out of control, but you're in control. God, so my bold prayer right now is that right now, right now in this place, would every Christian hear your voice? And God, the things that you speak, would they respond? And would they stand up with conviction to live out? And God, that may alter the rest of today for them. That may alter this week. God, who knows? Maybe, maybe you say something right now that alters their life that may change a family or a marriage. But God, would we be people who learn to listen to your voice, not just study your word. God, I finally, I pray for those in this room that don't know Jesus. I pray that right now would be a moment where they know that you at great cost to your son died to bring us into relationship with you while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and God, Boy, if someone's not a Christian, was this morning be the morning they say, you know what? I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I trust Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.